This is Kat Klingensmith with Retro Crime. One of the most fascinating crimes we've researched has been Bertha Bielstein killing her mother in 1898. The story twists and turns, and I can't help but admire her tenacity and intelligence. That's a common theme with female killers at the turn of the 20th century. They are very intelligent, and that's how they usually get away with it. In fairness, most of these cases, the women have a good reason, but they have to convince an all-male jury that their reason is sound. Bertha was born in Allegheny City, Pennsylvania in 1877. Now it's the north side where the Pittsburgh Steelers play. Go Steelers! Bertha's parents were Johann Frederick and Maria. They were immigrants from Hesse, Germany. The Bielsteins came from a long line of butchers, and their business in Allegheny City was thriving. They lived comfortably and were thought of highly in the community. Bertha was the youngest of seven children and especially close to her parents. She was also known for her incredible beauty. In 1893, at 16 years old, Bertha and her mother traveled to the World's Fair in Chicago. Spiritualism had exploded in popularity, and spiritualism is where people have seances, they try to contact old loved ones, talk to the dead, and most of them were revealed to be charlatans. Shocking, I know. Bertha and her mother became close with the community and regularly participated in seances and had necromancer friends. Bertha also visited her cousin in Chicago, and there was a rumor of love interest between them. In 1897, at 21 years old, she visited Chicago again and returned right before Christmas. The day after her return, her father dropped dead at the breakfast table from a heart attack. Bertha and her mother were in shock. The two of them moved into the second floor of the rectory at their Lutheran church. The reverend lived on the bottom floor, and the two Bielstein women shared the dwelling with a roommate named David Rice. David was a long-standing family friend and so close to the family that the kids called him Uncle Davy. Bertha returned to Chicago to seek support and help from her spiritualist friends. One particular necromancer she saw had a profound effect on her. While talking to Bertha, her face contorted into that of an indigenous child. Oh my. She claimed her name was Josie and that she was nine years old. I'm impressed she was able to look like a nine-year-old. Josie asked Bertha why she ignored her father, and Bertha told her about his recent passing. Josie replied that he was right next to her and lonely. After that incident, Bertha began seeing her dad's ghost everywhere. He talked to her about how lonely he was, and it escalated into him telling her that he wanted her and her mother to join him. Wow, the power of suggestion here. Bertha began contemplating murder-suicide, and when she was agreeable, her dad's ghost left her alone. As soon as she would forget about her plans to kill her mother and herself, her dad's ghost would reappear and remind her about his deep loneliness. Finally, Bertha reached her breaking point. Um, I love my dad and I miss him, but I don't love him that much. I'd rather just wait until nature takes his course when I can say hi again. In October of 1898, Bertha, now 22 years old, entered her mother's room late at night with a revolver, a shotgun, a vial of morphine, and a knife. Her mother woke up and asked, Bertie, what are you doing? And Bertha shot her three times. David Rice wasn't home to hear the shot, but the reverend downstairs was awakened by them. He went to go look outside. There was nothing there, so he went back to sleep. I respect that. I love my sleep, too. Several hours after killing her mother, Bertha was ready to fulfill the rest of the murder-suicide. 
She shot herself five times, hitting her chest, abdomen, and head. Then she quickly took the entire vial of morphine in an attempt to overdose, and she finished by slitting her veins. Once again, the reverend heard the shots and went back to bed when he didn't see anything outside of the window. What, did he think a horse was backfiring? I mean... <laughs> when the milkman came in the morning, the reverend went outside and was puzzled because usually Bertha or her mother were already outside at this time, retrieving their milk as well. He went upstairs to their quarters and knocked on the door. Lo and behold, Bertha opened it, but as soon as the reverend caught a glimpse of her nightgown, he turned his head to avoid looking at her. She asked, what? And he scurried away from the uncomfortable situation as quickly as possible. Uh, so, I respect this man's dedication to the cloth, but he noticed a nightgown and not being shot in the head or blood dripping down? That's impressively not observant. Later that day, Bertha's brother Edward, who was also a butcher, like his father and grandfather, visited and was traumatized by what he found. Bertha was still alive and taken to the hospital where the doctors incorrectly concluded that she would not survive another 24 hours. News spread quickly, and as soon as Uncle Davy Rice found out what happened, he immediately walked to the railroad tracks and threw himself in front of a train. His reasons for his strange and extreme behavior died with him. Edward took the death of his mother poorly. During her burial, he tried twice to jump into her grave with her. Geronimo! Not once, but twice. Like, he goes in the first time, and people are like, oh, there, there, we understand, you're sad. And he's like, yeah, yeah, I'm fine. And then Chosen jumps back in again, like they weren't going to notice. <laughs> they were just going to put dirt over him. Six weeks later, he brought a glass of whiskey laced with rat poison to her grave and died a horrific death from carbonic acid, which burns the body from the inside out. He was 33 years old and left behind a wife and two children. He had been married for over a decade, and his wife was very ill and not expected to live much longer. She survived her illness and lived another 40 years. Um, wow, I don't even know if they had a word for an Oedipus complex at the time. His poor wife and kids, and he wants to be buried alive with his mother, and then burns himself to death from the inside out on her grave because he misses her so much. I would feel a little insulted if Jason did that. I would wonder, was it my cooking? The icing on the cake is that he wasn't even buried with her. He was buried with his in-law's family. Meanwhile, Bertha was still alive and being given less than 24 hours to live on a daily basis. She was diagnosed as paralyzed and then got the flu and then tonsillitis and then simply wouldn't eat. Half a year later, she walked out of the hospital and into the courtroom. The trial was a massive news story across the United States. The prosecution's argument was that Bertha was in love with her cousin in Chicago, so to keep her mother from finding out about her incestuous affair, she killed her because her mother was prohibiting her from being with him. The evidence was letters written between the two and milk so that the other could only read it if they used a burnt cork. Um, I don't know if you ever did that when you were a kid. I, I remember doing that. Also, writing in lemon juice. The prosecution's argument fell flat when the letters were read, and there wasn't a hint of romance in them. They were just updates and Bertha talking about wanting to kill herself. Also, the prosecution was unaware that Bertha's mother's maiden name was also Bielstein. Bertha's parents were first cousins. 
this guy did not do his homework. She was found not guilty by reason of insanity and sent to live out the remainder of her life at the Dixmont Asylum. Uh, the Dixmont Asylum is north of Pittsburgh, and it's no longer there now. Just the graveyard is. I went there to take a picture of the grounds, but it's closed off now. For seven years, she was considered a model patient and well-liked. Then one night in November of 1906, she disappeared. An unknown staff member had given her a key, and she used the fire escape. Two men with a carriage were waiting for her outside. Out of embarrassment, the hospital hid it for a week, which gave her plenty of time to leave the state. In May of 1907, a 29-year-old woman named Olga Miller appeared in a morgue in Los Angeles County, California. Bertha's brother Frederick called the Los Angeles Police Department and told them that his sister Bertha Bielstein was in their morgue and he was traveling from Chicago to identify her body. Someone in the police department tipped off the press, and security had to be put in place to keep curious people away. Frederick had been notified by Bertha's boyfriend, who had kept her identity a secret. Frederick confirmed it was Bertha, and even if he hadn't, her scars made her unmistakable. Yes, most people don't have bullet hole wounds because they don't survive them. I mean, maybe 50 cent, but she also has the scars from slitting, so yes, unmistakable. She had chosen the name Olga Miller because that was her best friend growing up. While Bertha was in Dixmont, Olga committed suicide by ingesting carbonic acid, just like Bertha's brother had. Now, here's the big twist. Bertha's cause of death was revealed to be a massive brain tumor that had been growing over years. She was buried with her mother, and so all this time, we had no idea that she had a brain tumor, which could have been causing these hallucinations. We think we know someone by their actions, but we really don't. 